let's bring in the CIO of Tikrium Trading, the president and CIO, I should say, and we're going to take it all on with him. Sal Gaberti joins us this morning to figure it out. Sal, welcome. Let's begin with China and how well. This is the most widespread protest we've seen in 30 years, many calling for Xi Jinping to resign, and we can see the ripple effect in markets this morning. Sure we can, and good morning, Ben. Thank you for having me. Um, you know, China's got all the headlines right now, but remember, they can quell all these protests by simply loosening COVID restrictions. So I'm not sure we're going to see a, a repeat of Tiananmen Square, which was which much bigger. We'll see. It's too early to tell. But markets could turn on a dime here if if the Chinese authorities basically cave loosen uh, COVID restrictions. Now the story will be that China is going to have a growth prospect. So people need to be really nimble and really careful here about these protests because they can end with, with a change in policy. They don't have to end with a military crackdown like Tiananmen Square. Well, I completely agree. And also, Sal, I mentioned this and kind of raised this idea at the top of the show. Keep in mind, a lot of the rally we've seen, although a fair amount of it tied to some of the eco data, right? CPI a little bit softer. Uh, uh, we had some pretty good earnings, right? But a lot of this has also been tied to the news that there were some travel restrictions eased and prospects that that would continue. They were sort of efforting or moving in that direction. So this could be an abrupt shift, especially if there was some uh, widespread crackdown in terms of these protests. I agree. I think people need to be very, very careful here. Yeah. Markets don't like uncertainty. As yeah. long as the uncertainty remains, you're going to have, have downside exposure okay. and, and downside risk. But if that changes, things could reverse very, very quickly. Okay. And we know a big part of what's kind of been suppressing the market in many ways, uh, at least what we've seen in terms of uh, uh, some of the broader market here has been, again, those uh, China uncertainty demand uh, concerns, uncertainty tied to. Let's move on here in terms of uh, uh, we know the focus here, how much will Chinese government tolerate? How widespread of a ripple effect will we get here? Let's talk specifically crude. I just pointed to some of the selling we've seen there overnight to $73. Sure. And we, you know, two has been saying, especially those who listen to our Twitter spaces uh, calls, um, 65 before 105. Crude oil has been sitting between 80 and 90 for several months. There's no doubt that uh, demand is loosening. Also, most important, OPEC is in disarray. They are not a coordinated entity anymore. The whole Russian fiasco has caused a rift mm. in the OPEC 20 plus. And what you've got is a a big problem here because producers tend to compete with one another to sell. They still want to sell. Their job is to move that crude. There's going to be plenty of crude. Russia is going to sell as much crude to India and China as they want. India and China are going to be getting cheap crude. The rest of the world has a logistics problem, not a crude oil supply problem. People need to understand that. So there's plenty of crude. Your producers are in disarray. They're no longer holding the line. The reason OPEC cut production in the last meeting was because they saw the economic contraction. That they, they have the most brilliant uh, petroleum economists in the world. They can see a contraction coming. They can see demand or at least demand growth for oil slipping, and that's why they cut. And now you've got the members and the members plus not agreeing with one another on what the future is. Plus, you've got the West with sanctions against Russia causing confusion. I think oil markets are, the, the risk is much more to the downside than the upside right now. You know, speaking of confusion and uh, um, uh, the West, you've got these price caps. And in your notes, you were pointing to how this is almost a mute discussion in many ways with prices of crude right now below some of the levels that they're talking about capping around $65. I mean, that seems to be kind of the mid-range of uh, uh, some of the disputed uh, amount in terms of where to put that lid on and uh, tied back to these sanctions. 
Yeah, that's right. And I think the officials discussing the price cap know that it's absolutely a ridiculous concept. It doesn't work. So they choose a price cap that's that's much higher than where mm -hmm. the current price is now to render it moot. If, if they pass it at all, and I doubt that they will, honestly, um, they will put restrictions on purchases for Russian crude, but I don't think they'll put a price cap because it's just ridiculous. It's ineffective. It won't work. The officials know it. It's nothing but positioning for the camera, literally, in so, politics. So, Sal, they're competing to sell here right now. Oftentimes when I hear that, I mean, I, I'd imagine that's driving prices lower, right? But we've also heard pushback in terms of the U.S., and they're like, look, Russians can get that oil out there at lower prices, but uh, in terms of some of the uh, logistics as far as shipping it, insurance, and some of the uh, passageways, ultimately, they're going to have to abide by some of these sanctions. These companies that uh, uh, effort these shipments, even at these lower prices, are going to be forced to ultimately uh, abide again by the sanctions. Well, we've seen that analogy with wheat. There's plenty of Russian wheat for sale, and okay. it's not illegal to purchase it. Okay. But because of the, the shipping logistical confusion created by restrictions, um, people are reluctant to buy Russian wheat. China and and India are not going to care. There are going to be plenty of companies that will, will take the risk and insure them. And it won't be um, illegal to insure it. it. It will be illegal to insure it depending on its destination. Okay. And so I, I, I just think it's, again, uncertainty. And uncertainty is going to make prices go down, not up. Sounds like confusing situation to say the least. Speaking of some confusion, there's some uncertainty even here in the office about this upcoming OPEC meeting. It's listed as December 4th, but that's a Sunday. Doesn't that seem weird? Is it a two-day meeting where we'll hear the announcement on Monday? Uh, you know, that I don't know. Remember, OPEC, they, they often meet on Sundays. They, okay. you know, Sunday's not their holy day. And so they, they, it's a business day to a lot of people there in the Middle East, and that's fine. And that's, that's what they do. I don't know when they will make the announcement. I would not expect much coming out of OPEC that's meaningful. I think you watch the, the oil markets in general and watch the price. The price will tell you what's really happening. The price doesn't lie. So uh, it doesn't seem like the dollar's really been the uh, at the top of the list in terms of factors right now, especially with some of the geopolitics we're seeing in terms of commodities. But how are you watching this and where does it fit into this discussion? Well, the dollar is really important for commodities. A rising dollar is a headwind for commodities. A falling dollar is really good for commodities prices. The dollar seems to have peaked. That said, right now, the U.S. is, is kind of providing the only stability the world has, and everything's relative. So it's it's hard to predict that a, a prolonged bear market in the dollar. We may go sideways for a while. If the dollar starts falling, that will counteract some of the um, uh, factors that are causing commodity prices to go down. Certainly, it'll be supportive for commodities. But the dollar trading sideways, people get used to it, and you will see um, commodity prices do their thing based on supply and demand purely. Sal, lastly, as I look at some of the products, uh, uh, the Tecrium uh, ETFs, the CORN, you've got the uh, SOYB, the WEAT. Talk to us about, they've been very much range, but I'm wondering, are these headlines that we're seeing, these uh, most recent events, potential, or could they be the catalyst that we're looking at here that could break us out of these uh, uh, well-defined areas? Uh, they could be, and it's it's really hard with grains because remember our global balance sheet is tight. The supply demand is still um, supply is not keeping up with demand by and large for grains in general. So that's why you see these prices supported. That said, it it generally is rare that it takes more than two years to um, balance a market because farmers across the globe respond. You still have prices well above the cost of production. Grains generally trade at or near their cost of production, which is much higher than it was only a year or two ago. But no one knows where that is, and we're still trying to 
count on the weather. We're waiting and looking at South America. We need two seasons, meaning this winter in South America, and then the next growing season in the, in, in the Northern Hemisphere, which will start in you know five or six months. Those two seasons need to have perfect weather. We can replenish the grains balance sheets. That should loosen things up a bit. If that doesn't happen, grains will stay pretty tight, and that's why they're range bound. Okay, we're watching uh, SOYB, for example, hanging out right around 27. And uh, for the most part, it's been in the middle of a range that's been in all year, 29 down to uh, 24. We'll keep an eye on these products here and appreciate you joining us. To get us started here this week, Sal Gaberti, president, uh, president and CIO of Tecrium Trading, LLC. Sal, thanks again.